Hey, welcome to another episode of Appalachian Shine, the official podcast with the Foundation for Appalachian Advancement. And we're back in Norton today with Dr. Ernie Binko, one of our founders and a board member. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm paying most of my bills on time, eating pretty regularly, and our doors are open. I can't complain. Well, that's always a good thing, right? Yeah. So we've had a big meal down here today. For those that don't know, we uh, periodically we meet down here at ARC TV in Norton. And Ernie and Lena are kind enough to have a meal for us. Mm. But we wanted to talk today a little bit about stereotypes and the negative stereotypes that have obviously over the generations, over the years, decades, been put on those of us here in Appalachia. The, the negative uh, stereotypes that Hollywood and music and TV, they're constantly bombarding us with. But before we jump into that, Ernie, just real quick, uh, what's going on around ARC TV these days? Well, unfortunately, there's not a whole lot going on in the whole area uh, because of COVID, and uh, people are not getting out and uh, communicating and partying like they used to, so uh, sports in Southwest Virginia is out, Uh, concerts are out, Uh, festivals are out, so... There's a lot of things not going on these days. Now, we, we've got over 500,000 videotapes of what we've done for the last 30 years. And we're playing those. We've got a lot of compliments that people know that we have those. And they're excited about seeing their folks or grandfolks or great-grandfolks in some of these uh, videotapes. Yeah, it's nice to have those archives yeah. handy from, from yesteryear. And, um, yeah, there's, like you said, there's no live music going on. There's no festivals. So many things have been canceled. It's kind of frustrating. But um, I guess now the reach of ARC TV, for those who may not have heard you on the show before, how, how many uh, homes does ARC TV reach into? We've got about 3 million viewers right now. Okay. And uh, we're in uh, Virginia, Tennessee, Kentucky, and West Virginia. And we're on like 27 different cable companies. And then our uh, YouTube channel is in 91 different countries. And we get uh, letters and emails from all over the world about some of the stuff that we put on that people enjoy. Yeah, you have a lot of great live music from the area um, that, that you put on there. Bluegrass, country, gospel. Yeah. Um, and then, but I guess this year everybody's missed, uh, what was it? first of all, the Rosebud Festival down in Honeaker that should have taken place. And, and then I guess we have the, uh, the festival there in Abingdon every summer that didn't take place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but these these big events. But uh, hopefully next year will be back to normal and you know we'll have some things maybe in the next couple of months. They have the election coming up. Yeah, and uh, so we did do a uh, fall fling uh, for WISE. And uh, fortunately, they got their act together and put things together. And we used some of the films that we filmed music from years gone by. So that worked out pretty good. Um, uh, there's all sorts of things that we can do to help ourselves to keep in touch with other people uh, that may have similar interests. And we also want to know what kind of... Uh, subjects uh, would you like us to look at on uh, television or YouTube or uh, 
the internet, whatever we can do. Or even here on this podcast. Yeah, on the podcast. Yeah, let us know. <clears throat> now, we're 20-some-odd episodes in, uh, 24, 25 into Appalachian Shine now, and we've talked a little bit about you know, history, tourism, economic development. We've covered, covered some interesting topics, and had a few interesting guests on, too. But one of the things we hadn't talked about, even though we've talked about this book in the past called The Hillbilly Elegy, uh, we haven't really addressed the topic of the Appalachian stereotype as a whole and uh, just kind of how damaging and kind of to, to the area it is. It has been for decades in regards to tourism and economic development um, and even actually keeping people here. But, uh, you know, what was your first experience, I guess, in life in general of being from Appalachia and then kind of getting that negative feedback from people that you just met? Um, it seemed like they, people outside the area kind of looked down on us like we were not educated and could not communicate with them too well. Uh, yeah. That was my first impression. And then uh, they'd ask questions and they wouldn't stay around for the answer. Yeah, it's like, yeah, we're just being polite to ask you, but we don't really care what you say. Because we know you don't have enough sense to tell us about it. Yeah, it's kind of insulting. And yeah, for those of you that know me, I've, uh, I'm, I lived in Cincinnati for a number of years. Met a lot of great people there, but it's not in Appalachia. And one of the first things that uh, happened to me when I first took a job there at a brokerage firm, and people, you know, had this go around this table like you're the new folks, you know, where are you from? And I would tell people, they were kind of shocked. Like, you actually have a brokerage line? You have a you have a stockbroker's license, you know, <laughs> like, can you, you could pass that test. And I was kind of, kind of taken aback, kind of insulted a little bit, you know, but then people make little jokes and I, like, I, and, you know, one of the worst movies to ever come along is a stereotype. This region was deliverance. I don't care how good the actors were, how much I like Burt Reynolds and Smokey and the Bandit. But, yeah. you know, I, I, I remember hearing one time, uh, you know, somebody kind of joking from Appalachia, well, you sure have a pretty mouth, you know? <laughs> oh, my God. And and then they didn't even have the nerve to apologize. It's almost like it's okay to insult people from Appalachia, you know? And, I, and like, I let it for a while. I just, you know, brush it off. I got thick skin. I don't, you know. But then, like, years later, I started thinking, you know, the audacity of people to, you know, look down on somebody else based on a region. And I think, you know, Hollywood is probably the biggest culprit in really putting... Appalachians down in general and I bring up deliverance because you tell people where you're from you always hear that little people making that banjo noise you know <laughs> oh, I, I hate that or quoting lines from the movie but yeah just to be clear though all all regions have stereotypes it doesn't matter where people are from whether it's like that California surfer dude or the valley girl or you know the you know, feisty attitude from the Bronx or something you know or southern attitude southern stereotypes in general but uh, you know, it seems like Appalachia, it's kind of sinister and, and negative, and we're portrayed as, I, I, I jotted some notes down here, uh, Ernie, it's, we've been portrayed as uneducated, and if you look at some of the crazy movies that have been made in the last 30 years, morally and sexually depraved, mm. uh, lawless and violent and inbred. Like, I mean, how many times have you heard West Virginia jokes? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I mean, that's the, right, you know, that's the heart of Appalachia, it's, it's nuts, nuts, but you know, I mean, I mean, everybody knows a handful of West Virginia jokes they can pull out. But, you know, after a while, it just kind of doesn't, 
you'd think at least people would apologize or say, hey, I'm just kidding. You know, they they kind of don't. Yeah. Now, when you travel for your work, do you still catch that at places? Uh, not as much as I used to. I've got, uh, as you know, about uh, half a dozen degrees. And uh, when I look at my business card, they give me a different look than before. When, uh, I used to be an executive for Gulf Oil Corporation. Uh, and then uh, I was vice versa Clinchfield. Uh, and I worked for the largest engineering company in Tennessee. Uh, you go on and on, all those little idiosyncrasies I've been involved in. So once people know that we've done that, and we've been in the television business for more than 30 years, uh, been on two uh, newspapers that uh, either I owned or directed. So there, there's been a lot of different experience I've had, thank goodness. Uh, but speaking of uh, deliverance, I have a cousin from Pennsylvania, and she had two busloads of people coming down to visit back just before the uh, that movie came out, mm -hmm. Deliverance, and uh, they were all looking forward to coming down here and meeting people and seeing the culture and all that stuff. That movie came out. They all canceled, so we are going down there. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a direct. But here's something else, though. Some of the most movies that have been and still are in progress around the world is uh, Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah. That was a favorite movie, and it still is. It, it may be a little backwards, but... Those people didn't take a whole lot for granted. They they did what was right come hell or high water. Seemed like to me. Yeah, the Beverly Hillbillies is always a show I liked. The only thing I, that and you know over time, and this is maybe me being nitpicky. You know, maybe I'm just getting crotchety in the my in my my, my middle years here was, you know, like characters like Jethro. Why why do you have to portray him as so kind of like dumb and backwards? You know, he's not he's not uneducated. <laughs> you know, but yet they portray him that way or. Uh, Daisy, what's her name? Ellie Mae? Yeah. All right, Ellie, you know, nobody dresses. You know, she had Daisy Dukes before Daisy Dukes showed up, you know. <laughs> so nobody nobody dresses like that. You know, so, I mean, to portray that girl next door dressing so provocatively, it's, you know, is that, again, part of that, you know, are, are we kind of sexually depraved? And when I say sexually depraved, as a stereotype, people might be thinking, like, what? <laughs> but, again, think about what happened in the movie Deliverance. And there's a series of movies that came out um, years ago. And I jotted them down here. It was uh, um, Wrong Turn. It portrayed Appalachians as inbred cannibals. What was the name of that? Wrong Turn. Oh, yeah. I saw that. Yeah. They had that, that had four sequels. And that was filmed in Canada, by the way. Well, it can't. Okay, and they they portrayed it like it was like Central Appalachia, West Virginia. West Virginia, yeah. So I mean, I I, I hear I see movies like that, and I'm like, oh come on, you know, like why do you have to portray people in such? But it's so acceptable. Now think about this: you have so you have a ton of degrees. What if somebody you know said, uh, you know, imagine that hillbilly with PhD. Mm. Yeah. Now take the word hillbilly out and put any other word in there. Put a race or a gender in there. 
oh, how politically incorrect and how quick would you have to backtrack? <laughs> but for Appalachians, that's the stereotype we catch, and it's a multi-generational problem. Don't you think? It's it just seems like it's just been around forever. Um, but uh, I mean, those are. It, but how many people are in Appalachia, Ernie? It, it's over. Tw- well, we are losing our population tremendously since uh, they have put a death to the uh, coal industry, basically. And well, able-bodied people are leaving because they need work, and there's no work here right now. Well, that was the case when I was young too. I mean, I always heard that, you know, if you want to succeed in life, you got to get out of these mountains. And you know that old saying: like, if you can succeed in New York, you can succeed anywhere. <laughs> no, no. And if you can succeed in Appalachia, if you can build a big business and do very well in Appalachia, you can succeed anywhere in life. Um, and that, that's that's God's honest truth. Um, but there's over, last I looked, there was over 25 million people that live in Appalachia. That's a huge chunk of people to be stereotyping such, in such a negative way. And people always just assume it's like all, you know, just white people. And that's No, we're an incredibly diverse c- culture, top to bottom in Appalachia, and people don't seem to realize that. As a matter of fact, cities that are in Appalachia that people don't think of, they just think of backwoods and deliverance, you know, for all intents and purposes, Knoxville, Tennessee, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I mean, because there's a direct connection to these coal fields and what's needed to make steel in Pittsburgh for generations because it's the metallurgical coal from central Appalachia that had to be shipped right up Appalachia to Pittsburgh for the steel mills. And most of the owners of the mining companies were from that part of Pennsylvania. And most people don't know that either. Yeah, so... Um, but, but, you know, that's that's something that, you know, getting the history of this area out is important because things like that are needed to combat the stereotype, which yeah. needs to be, I guess, a, a, a com- a, like fought at every at every turn. Like anytime somebody stereotypes it, my take would be, hey, get kind of back, not in their face per se, but get back in there and get in that argument. Not argument per se, but get in that discussion, have that discussion with them, because you know people are incorrect in the stereotype, but it's just such a multi generational thing. It's okay and acceptable to we were the only people you can run over and insult that way, and not feel like you have to apologize or say, "Hey, I'm just joking." Yeah. Well, I think speaking of different, I think Andy Griffin show is one of the best of the characters of the Central Appalachian Mountains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is uh, he was a sheriff and he didn't even carry a gun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really do not like the police being shown. First thing they do is pull out a gun. Well, that put people on defense or cover up a crime. One of the locals did when it's somebody from the city coming through, or you know, yeah, corrupt. Yeah. Uh, so my hats off to Andy Griffin, his show. Uh, another one that did really well for years and years is Petticoat Junction. Mm-hmm. That was a popular. And then, like I said, Dukes of Hazard. Everybody watched that. And they had a Dukes of Hazard reunion over at the racetrack several years ago. And everybody thought, well, 3,000 people would show up for that. Over 30,000 people showed up. For that. We Which racetrack that. was this? Bristol? Bristol. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, and then there, you still see the, the general around, the mm-hmm. car, 
but speaking of, of local people doing well, Napoleon Hill. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, how many people locally even know that Napoleon Hill is from here and what he did? Yeah, from Wise, Virginia. Yeah, well, actually from Pound. Pound, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, he was the he was the guy who started the self help, uh, self improvement, uh, motivational movement. I mean, if we hear guys like Tony Robbins and and uh, other motivational speakers like Eddie Panero. If it wasn't for Napoleon Hill, who really started this, wh where would that be? Yeah, uh, let me tell you another story about that same kind of thing. When I was working on my master's in psychology at ETSU, is I'd always go and buy all these books, self-help books, and how to get this done, and motivation books, and uh, I probably had about 30 of these books, and some lady said, listen, uh, so-and-so that's number one in these self, they're having four different speakers here, and he's got to belong to the country club to go to this, and we're having him over for dinner, having them for dinner, and I was I said, yeah, count me in. I want to go. Yeah, I want to meet these people who are selling millions of books. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they're going to have a thing at the uh, Freedom Hall over there. They're selling tickets to that and all that stuff. So I went and thought, wait, I'm going to learn some stuff, big stuff. Yeah. So anyway, I went and uh, got personally talked to them, and basically they said, we don't know how come we're selling so many books, but we're going to continue to do it until nobody buys anymore. They didn't know what the combination was, why they were so popular. Mm -hmm. yeah, they just want to keep on doing it so they could afford to do what they wanted to do. Yeah. So just because one may be successful, they may not have the formula for that success. It's funny how many self-help books are out there telling people, to motivate you on how to build your business, and this and the other, and they've never ran a business or built one. <laughs> now there's some that have, you know, obviously, but but there's some that's just like, wow, you're making money off of just well, trying to be a, a cheerleader for somebody. And that's, there's a lot of college professors in uh, business that are teaching it, but they've never run a business. Well, those who can do, do those who can't teach, right? That the, <laughs> now, I'm not insulting any teachers out there, but that's an old saying. And, um, but, you know, it's, you were talking about Hollywood and some of the shows. I did a little research, and I went back to, as far as Hollywood, to find when they first started stereotyping Appalachians. There was a silent film in 1904 called The Moonshiner. And, uh, and all those films back then uh, that were silent, they, they would portray Appalachians as escaping the law, you know, running from the law because they're moonshiners, uh, backwards acting ruffians. Uh, I did read an article somewhere that um, a guy who had uh, done some research and studies on this, a uh, professor somewhere, again, back to the teacher, right, <laughs> who wasn't from here, by the way, um, but was doing research on this and said roughly half of the films that he cataloged could have been categorized as moonshine films that portrayed Appalachians as like evading the law and kind of backwards, a little rough, you know. And uh, I thought, well, that's that's not very good, you know. And um, how that vi he also wrote about how violence and uh, poverty and drug abuse seem to be the major themes of any movie uh, or short film or documentary, for that matter, about Appalachia. 
And I would argue that violence, poverty, and drug abuse isn't an Appalachian problem alone. I mean, it, it, well, there's problems, yeah, opioid crisis. But they have the same problems in California and Wyoming and New York and Florida. I mean, everywhere. But yet, when we hear about, even today, when we hear President Trump talking about the uh, opioid crisis, and because of um, a lot of people initially first start thinking West Virginia. Not that it's not bad there in places, but it's not only a West Virginia, Central Appalachia problem. Well, here's the thing, too, though, is if you took out the moonshine of that day and time, what else do we have to sell here? Uh, just lumber and coal. Yeah, but we didn't have enough good roads to get the lumber and coal out of here. Well, that's true, you know, because, I mean, there's a whole other discussion to be had about how companies came down here and took the natural resources and didn't do what they should have done uh, to develop a, a diverse workforce. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, they just come, took, and left. And then left people that were that didn't have skills to do things that they needed to do to keep their communities going. Well, let me tell you that. The, uh, over in Damascus, Damascus was developed by Colonel M. Bowden. And Colonel M. Bowden came here from uh, Stanton, I believe during the Civil War, and he developed the Creeper Railroad over there and developed the sawmills and the forests and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. When he was finished over there, he came to Appalachia, and there's a killing Emboden scene down there, and he developed the Emboden scene okay. to mine down there. Uh, and that same scene is over in Jenkins, Kentucky, but it's like 600 feet below. It's on top of the mountain over here, but it's the same person who built that. Um, I, I think that's an interesting story, too. Yeah, it really is. And those of you who hear me chew, I'm addicted to uh, jelly beans. So, <laughs> so if you hear me chewing, you know, one movie that got it right was one that was made down the road here, Big Stone Gap, yeah. in uh, 2015. Um, did you get a chance to see that? Well, we we videotaped them when they uh, brought it to Big Stone, and, uh, and I know that family fairly well. Um, it was written by Adriana Trigiani. Yeah, who's from here? Right, she's from Big Stone. Right, her dad was a good friend of mine. Now she wrote that, and and I was thinking, you know, wouldn't it be great to see a film industry from inside of Appalachia telling Appalachian stories instead of not you know the typical. Hollywood stereotype story that we always get, but Big Stone Gap, I think they did it right. They showed our region as a place of diversity and caring and uh, with people of intelligence. You know, we have the accent, but so be it. You know? yeah. But, it, the, but the they, only, they did a good job. The only thing that was left out of that, the Melungeons kept coming up in that movie, and hardly anybody outside this area knows who Melungeons are. Yeah, that's true. And I think they could have done really well with that. And then the Hatfields and McCoys in Pikeville, Pike mm -hmm. County, they could have done a whole lot better there if they would have developed that. Hardly anybody in Pikeville, they know the Hatfields, but they don't, you know, so what? They were here. And, and it's just kind of old hat to them. Yeah, they, they aren't yeah. developing that story like it should should be, I think. Yeah, because there's, there's, there's something to be said there. And, and it would be a good story. Um, let me tell you this about uh, uh, 
moonshine and bootleg and all that stuff. I went to uh, school at uh, Union College. Now, this is many, many, many years ago. And uh, my roommate and I were trying to make some extra money. And one of my degrees was in psychology. And they sent me out to a place called Stinking Creek to talk to people about education and where to get to. And that's over in Kentucky. Yeah, over mm -hmm. the, near Mountain Parkway. Yeah. Anyway, anyway Stinking Creek over there. I said, well, how did this place get a name like Stinking Creek? And they said, oh, the buffalo hunters came through here and killed the buffalo and threw the carcass in the creek. And that's where it goes. I said, okay, well, I understand that. Well, come to find out, the family I was working with, they were the bootleggers of the county. <laughs> and he wanted to know if I could get beer because I had Virginia ties. I said, yeah, that's not a problem. And uh, the thing that you got to know, I think that, Kentucky made like 85% uh, of the liquor in the United States at that time. But 95% of the counties were dry. And the, that county was dry. Most of them were. So he wanted to know if I could get beer for him. I thought that shouldn't be a problem. And uh, But before you did that, you had to go talk to the godfather of the county. And he had like a 7-Eleven next to campus. Well, I knew him. Because I'd always go over and eat hot dogs and hamburgers and play pinball and all that stuff. But I didn't know he was the godfather of the county. But we had to go down and have a hot dog with him. He gave us his blessings. And uh, I had two pickup trucks, but only one of them was tagged. But you only needed one tag in Kentucky. So we split the tags, and I'd drive one pickup. My roommate would drive another back there to Wise County. And there's a place in Big Stone called the Moises Coach House. And Paul the Moises is a good friend of mine. You can tell how long ago this was. I get Budweiser for 13 and a half cents a can from Paul. And we'd fill those pickup trucks with beer and then put apples on top of it because apples were really sell well in Kentucky. So we'd take that back there and sell the apples and sell the beer and they'd give me 35 cents a can. So we thought we were doing well. So after doing that three or four months, they were selling that same thing they were paying us thirty-five cents for for two fifty. <laughs> How'd you know? <laughs> well, most of the people buying it were the college kids. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so after I got a little brave, I said, "Well, where's all this money going to?" He said, "Well, you know where it goes to." I said, "No, I, I really didn't know." And after a while, the sheriff was getting a fourth. He was getting a fourth, and the bootlegger was getting a fourth. Okay, where's that other fourth going to? Well, you know where they're going. No, I, after another 15 minutes, the preachers <laughs> to keep the county dry. So everybody wow. would get their Wow, so shit. they could run the price up. Yeah. Yeah. And you start looking around, the, the preachers were driving uh, Buicks or uh, Pontiacs, nice cars, mm -hmm. lived in fairly nice houses paved driveways and new roofs <laughs> so the whole thing was working out great there so yeah you kind of look at the big picture when you're doing some things capitalism 101 yeah, <laughs> yeah. now you know i was uh also speaking of bootleggers and moonshiners the other movie i found um from 1905 another another one speaking of kentucky kentucky fried that was a movie 
and it was about uh, bootlegging, you know, another whiskey movie. Um, 1916, Mountain Blood was a movie, about, and it portrayed, you know, Appalachians is feuding, and like, I have Phil McCoy, like you mentioned, but illiterate, lazy, fear in the outside world, and I thought, well, Appalachians don't really fear the outside world, but it reminded me when I first moved to Cincinnati back in 2000, a friend of mine who was from here too that lived there, she told me that she had a friend that worked downtown for the government, and that they had a program, an actual government program, to help Appalachians get acclimated to their communities, as if we assume they're all backwards and don't know how to make friends. And I thought, well, how insulting. You know, I probably made more friends in six weeks than I had in six months in Virginia. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I thought, how, you know, just how asinine some of that attitude is. How much money did they waste the taxpayer money? That's what I want to know. To help somebody make friends. It's kind of, kind of crazy, you know. But, um, you know, I guess the Appalachian, I mean, there's poverty here too, but it's, but there's poverty everywhere. And uh, I think the important thing is, for any anybody is to um, portray Appalachia and you know, put our best foot forward. Show, show the best things that are here. Last summer, a friend of mine that I worked with in Cincinnati, he's actually from South Carolina. He was, and those who don't know me know I'm a writer. I write under a pen name. And a friend, a friend of mine, he's a writer too. So he came up from South Carolina where he was going to a school of creative art design, taking the writing program. And he was working on a, a movie script Watching it, you know, for an independent film, and he came up here and wanted me to help him out with some plot stuff and character development. I'm just try to put this story together in a quick, quick uh, pace. So he drives up and gets a room, him and his assistant in Bristol. And I drive over and I meet him, and he's like, "This is Appalachia. This is not what I thought Appalachia was." Mm. You know, he's like, "There's an Olive Garden over here." You guys have Olive Garden Appalachia? I'm like, what the heck? Mm. <laughs> but, I mean, he didn't, he didn't know any better. I mean, he's seen documentaries. He's seen Oprah Winfrey cover us on the news and show the poverty of trailer parks and the scourge of meth. And, you know, that's what people think. And, you know, and and it's and I'm like, yeah, man. I gave him the grand tour around the region. He was surprised to see how big the Bristol racetrack was. <laughs> yeah. He's like, man, this looks like something the Romans would build. I'm like, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> So um, yeah, it's it, you know it's amazing just what people think when they get here and experience Appalachia, because Appalachia is an experience. Yeah. So if you don't true. if you don't think of deliverance, yeah, it really is. There's so much adventure just waiting for people. And the history is mm -hmm. unbelievable. Yeah, th there's um, the history of Appalachia is I think some of the most important history to our nation, the, the development of our yeah. entire nation. Starting with Daniel Boone and the Wilderness Trail. Exactly. Matter of fact, Daniel Boone and the Wilderness Trail. Uh, I am back in uh, Bristol in a casino over there. And I wrote a letter to the people putting the casino in last week saying that the casino uh, is going to be the biggest event in the Central Appalachian Mountains since Daniel Boone went through Cumberland Gap. And I believe that. Uh, yeah, he. He led 800,000 people through Cumberland Gap. And this casino is going to do mega. Well, they better be building there. some more hotels. Yeah. <laughs> but there's plenty of opportunity, like even economic opportunity in Appalachia, and people 
need to realize that. Yeah. Um, I guess, um, you know, me and another board member, Gary Stratton, he's a professor of economics and a small business owner too. And, you know, I, and, and you're like this when we talk, when driving around, you look at places like, I see opportunity for something there. I see opportunity for something there where there's nothing. And that seems, that needs to be more part of the vision of people in central Appalachia that have just had these stereotypes beaten into who they are for years. And, you know, it's, it can be a change of attitude, but we have the opportunity here. Um, and, you know, it's the future is exactly what we make it here in central Appalachia. And that casino could be a huge part of it, too. At, well, it'll, it'll draw people from all over the east. Uh, and we got good highways here now. Uh, let me tell you this about the trailer parks and all this stuff. One of the problems that we have in southwest Virginia, the property in southwest Virginia is owned by federal, state, local, and coal countries. There's only about 5% of the land that can be bought and traded. Is that right? That's the reason there's so many trailer parks. I did not know that. Well, well, that, I mean, if you start looking at it, that's why. And if you own property that had coal or oil on it, would you really sell that to somebody to put a house on where you get you know, X number of dollars every month? Or, oh, yeah, for mineral rights. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There was a friend of mine at school again at Barville Union College. And uh, he said, well, you know, we do have 32 oil wells on our property. Uh, they aren't plumping much. We just get about a thousand dollars from each well a month. Yeah. I mean, would you really put a house on that? No. No. So is, and there is oil and gas here. Yeah, quite a bit. Yeah. More than people realize. And yeah. So, you know, if you if you own the mineral rights, or had chances to get the gas. What would you do? You keep it. Uh, let me tell you one other quick story here. I think I, I was talking to the uh, fellow in Nixon County that was the uh, Commonwealth Attorney over about 20 years ago, I guess, and we were talking to a good friend of mine, and he said, "You know, uh, Al Capone came through here." And I said, well, I really didn't know that, but that makes sense. U.S. 23 used to be the shortest distance between Chicago and Miami. He said, yeah. He said, did you know I had a distillery here? And I said, golly, no. And uh, I said, do you know where it is? He said, well, it's on this mountain back here. Uh, part of it's in Kentucky. And I said, well, is there anything left in there? He said, yeah. I said, well, let's go see if we can videotape it. He said, you can't. They're still using it. Huh. And I'm talking about a tourist attraction. Yeah. Now, that was before they changed the law in Kentucky, mm -hmm. where almost everybody can put in a liquor store. So, but can you imagine having a, a cave over there where Al Capone actually made moves? Well, that would be a heck of a tourist stop. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's another idea. Something needs to be developed. People make money off of it. Anybody driving through, even that are from here, would go out and see it. Uh, yeah. And you want to get a pint of moonshine from Al Capone's still? Yeah. Where else would you buy it from? Yeah. Capone, right? <laughs>
But I guess, Ernie, I guess the question I wanted to to ask, you know, we talk about how people just disparage the region and, you know, treated treated Appalachians like secondhand citizens in their stereotypes. How do we combat it? How do we how do we change that narrative? I, I know there are a lot of groups and organizations that are out there that have tried and, you know, little, well, little has been done. Yeah, unfortunately... There's uh, this area of Virginia, Kentucky, and Tennessee, uh, West Virginia, has been kind of clannish. And is. Not with a K, right? <laughs> just, uh, no. Yeah. Uh, no, just families stay together and yeah. take it. And one of the things about moving out of the area is these mountains were almost like a cocoon. You knew everybody in your village and your town and all that stuff, and they're the ones you, you went to or you related to mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. Now, when you get out in the plains, it's a totally different yeah, way of life. Yeah. yeah. And you aren't related to everybody, and you don't know who to talk to and all this. But here you did, or somebody in your family did. So there's a, a lot of thinking that needs to. But also, we need help from Richmond. They've got all these state jobs in Richmond. How many do they have in Southwest Virginia? State oh, none. Jobs. You know, we we say around here a popular saying is that the state ends at Roanoke. Yeah. Well. And in many ways, it does. You know, even during this COVID crisis, we heard our. And again, we're not a political organization, so don't read anything into this. But we we heard our governor refer to us out here for a lot of people not wearing masks as dumb and stupid. Well. He caught COVID. <laughs> so, uh, you don't have to be dumb or stupid to catch COVID. Um, so we all kind of laugh you know, about that out here. But, yeah, there, there's a lot of things that government can do to bring some jobs out here. But And with this pandemic, it, you know, people are learning they can work from home. They don't need to be in Richmond. As a matter of fact, yeah. there are regulators um, with the business that I have with uh, Dr. Stratton that out of Kentucky that we talked to that, when I talk to them on the phone, they're working from home. They're not in the state capital. They're an hour and a half away or, or wherever. And uh, you know, it's it, it, the world's kind of changing that way. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I was talking to the guy who owns Outdoor Adventures in Tazewell and Damascus, Ricky Barton, and we had him on a podcast talking about outdoor tourism a while back. And he was telling me that he knows of people actually that had come down here and to tour and go on hikes and stuff like that. And out of the cities, out of New York, that I think it was New York where they, these particular folks are from, that realized that they could work remotely from home. They wanted to do that. They loved how beautiful this place was here in central Appalachia. They loved the mountains, the fresh air, the hiking, the fishing, the canoeing, everything. The only question they had is, how's your internet service? How's your broadband? Can I literally work from here? Is this reliable? And it was, and people have moved into central Appalachia from the cities because there is actually an exodus out of these cities now. Uh, and because of the pandemic and because of the, I guess people looking at the harsh treatment of those, the hard lockdowns and they don't want a part of it. They've seen businesses go under. They don't want to be a part of that either. So they're relocating. And I've seen articles on CNBC.com, Bloomberg and other locations that are saying how people are moving back to Appalachia that are never, that aren't from here. And they're coming here to work remotely and live that quiet, laid-back uh, lifestyle that is peaceful and serene. 
they don't have that in cities. Even even a hectic lifestyle here is probably laid back. Traffic to us is not traffic to them. No. Um, so, yeah, they come here and see a different way of life. And as long as they have the broadband, the things that they can rely on to keep them busy and working, people are moving back to back here. They're finding their, their roots and going rural. Yeah, but why why don't we have Richmond put DMV out here? Because they do everything over the internet anyway. Yeah, why not? And many of the other places could do, or entities that work for the state, would be just as good out here. We've got whatever it takes to have it done. I mean, they could look at, you know, Scott County or here in Norton or Wise County. If they insist on staying near an interstate, they could put it over in places like Abingdon and Washington County. Well, or Withville. There are building, my understanding, the uh, Coalfield Express now. I got an email from this week. That's only been in the planning stages since 1982. Yeah, <laughs> well, finally they're getting around to doing something with it, but. I thought they ought to change the name to the Coldfield Express. Mm-hmm. I don't know to the Appalachian Express. They should. Coldfield. They should. And that would bring more people in because people think they're running on coal or something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I think I'd be a great name for it. They should, because you know it's not necessarily here for the coalfields anymore. Yeah. I mean, I love to see people work. I love it when I see. I used to get so annoyed stopping at a railroad track because of a train. It keeps me for fifteen minutes. I don't care now. People yeah. are working. I see those coal, those things loaded with coal and perfectly fine. But technology is changing, and natural gas is you know, probably more of a wave of the future, and that's going to be more prevalent in the area, even though we're rich with energy sources. But uh, coal won't be the big thing in 30 our years. coal in this area is the metallurgic coal, which is the needed. best coal in the world. Yeah. If you want to make steel, you have metallurgic yeah. coal. If you don't, yeah. yeah. If you don't want to make steel, then yeah, you're going to be a third world country. For yeah. So, yeah, the, the coal that we make here is, is very much necessary for economic development anywhere. Um, but, you know, as far as economic development is part of the way of changing the, the stereotypes, but like you were talking about before, educating people on the history of this place and why Appalachia was vital to every important part of American history is also, I think, to me, I think is a key proponent and changing the stereotype and uh, showcase and brag about our culture. Don't, don't be shamed by it. Uh, that's well, you know, act proud, be proud, be bold. I think that's part of the, uh, and be very assertive about why we're proud about being from here and what this place offers. Uh, I, I know quite a few people. You talk about the family unit. Well, we have, I, I've had so many people that aren't from here that know me that have complimented me on, just like how close your family is, man. It's like you're sitting around joking with your sisters like they're your best friends. Well, yeah, they kind of are, <laughs> you know. And uh, you know, it's it's just a way of life. And other people that they may talk to a sibling once every six months, or they haven't talked to their parent, one of their parents, in two or three months. Well, that's just that's not in our DNA here, you know. That's <laughs> um, because it's uh, you know, and that's fine. Um, but yeah, there have been some good movies out there that have portrayed us well. Like I said, Big Stone Gap, October Sky was a really good one. Yeah, um, across about, the mountain over yeah, there from Grundy. About Homer Hickam and uh, and uh, the development of uh, well, actually he went on to work for NASA. Yeah, imagine that a hillbilly with a PhD. <laughs> um, you know, and I love that movie, Old Brother, Where Art Thou? But as much as I love that, eh, I kind of really didn't like the portrayal of you know the ignorance. 
yeah. of some of the characters, you know. But they were fun-loving characters, and it was it was a good movie. But um, but like I said, you know, I guess people just being bold in their assertions and declarations, and be proud and be proud of our history, showcase our history, and even if it's part of a period of America that's not good, you know. Be, be bold about the truth of all of it, because it's not just our history, it's everyone's history. Well, not only that, the music from this area. Yes. It's, it's just, yeah. It's, it's beloved just, worldwide. You know, the uh, uh, the Tex-Mex music comes from here. Tex-Mex? Yeah, comes from here. All right, explain that. Uh, <laughs> I yeah. hear this. Yeah. Is the, uh, the people that went to the Texas for land, they took their horses... They took their buckskin, they took their rifles, and they took their music and their business and their cards. When they got there, they played the music and then listened to what the Mexicans were doing, and they combined it. That's where the Tex-Mex music comes from. Oh, okay. That was in the 1830s, 1838, I think. See, that's why we like having a great resident historian <laughs> on board. Um, yeah, that's really, that's really interesting. You know, and I guess it's part of our ancestry, people... You know, need need to realize this. We we are a diverse, diverse culture. Um, you know, we need to be proud of that. And our ancestry is. I, I jotted this down. We're in large part Irish, Scottish, English, German, Welsh, and Cherokee. And that's a large part of our makeup. And you know, the so-called mainstream has just feasted on their age-old definition of Appalachia for a long time. Now, I don't forget the Indians in there to all the different. Tribes in absolutely Shawnee. Yeah. We had so many different tribes out here in, in Appalachia, um, but you know Hollywood and you know some writers like Hillbilly Elegy and things like that. They 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 try to put on a definition of Appalachia from the outside. But I think it's important that being bold in who we are and, and being proud of our region. They're not in charge of defining who we are. We're in charge of defining who we are as Appalachians, and that's part of. That's part of why our organization came together initially, and that's part of you know the reason we have a podcast to share that history, that tradition, um, and combat those stereotypes to show put our best foot forward. That was part of the original, you know, that's part of the reason Foundation for Appalachian Advancement formed because we wanted to showcase who we are on a grand scale, and it's not what people think. It's, it's a land of great people, uh, and, uh, educated people, a land of economic opportunity, and the richest history you'll find anywhere in the country. Absolutely. And uh, people should be proud of that. So next time somebody kind of shuns you or makes that little comment about, you know, makes that little banjo noise, <laughs> just, just remind them, especially from out west, just remind them, you know, you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the Wilderness Road. Yeah. If it weren't for my kin <laughs> that built that road for you guys. Um, because your heritage is our heritage. As a matter of fact, there's a really great book I just purchased. I'm about halfway through it, but I'll go ahead and recommend it. It's called The United States of Appalachia. And I think the person's last name is Biggers that wrote it. But an amazing book. It really shows how, you know, this, this history and this culture really is what molded a lot of the United States. As to what it is today, and it's just you talk about ignorance. It's ignorance and not understanding that, and not ignorance on the part of these these poor, poverty-stricken Appalachians out here. Now we have problems to solve, like everyone else, and we will. But um, one issue at a time. All right, it's been fun getting together again, doing another podcast. Yeah, we'll have to do these more often. Um, 
Yeah, let me tell you one other story. There's a yeah. uh, state trooper here in Norton. His name was Reiner. And back then, there were only two state troopers this side of Roanoke. And he was one of them for 30 years. What? He never pulled his gun once in 30 years. Wow. That's saying something. Yeah, that's saying a lot. Consider how things were back then. And now we turn on the news and see a riot every night yeah. <laughs> somewhere. Um, but these are crazy times we're living in. And those of you who are listening, you know, hopefully you took a good message away from this podcast, from this episode. Uh, keep and, them, and let us know what you think. Let us know what you think. Drop me an email, jc at supportappalachia.org. Um, or you can contact us through our website, which is supportappalachia.org. We're on Facebook. And um, you know, keep in mind that part of our, like I said, part of our mission is to combat this stereotype. We have so many things we'd love to be able to do, and it takes funding. And funding is a hard thing to get. I'm the worst person in the world to even ask people for money. I hate doing it. But if you're listening to this and you want to make a small donation, jump on our website. and um, Or if you have a project you'd like us to look into. Yeah, or some project you think would fit what we're trying to do. Go to supportappalachia.org. There's a little uh, donate button. Go through PayPal. If you'd rather write a check and do it snail mail, uh, you can mail it to P.O. Box 397. It's in Richlands, Virginia, 24641. And that's, again, check payable to Foundation for Appalachian Advancement. Every little bit helps. Um, we're all volunteers. None of us take a dime for anything we do. We just put our efforts into it. And, um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll talk about some maybe projects we want to do. Uh, if you have any questions about that, you can contact us. But thanks again for tuning in. If you like the show, share it with some friends. Uh, it's Appalachian Shine. We're also on iTunes and Spotify and I think on Amazon now. So if you're listening to us on Podbean, you can download us on your phone. But thanks again, and we will see you down the road.